Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Pat Donovan, joined tonight by J.P. Nocerino. What's going on, everyone? Happy to be here. What's going on, J.P.? You excited about Jed Lowry? Oh, yeah. It's, well, talking about baseball and Jed Lowry, just getting my mind off of the Adam Gaze fiasco that I can't just want to forget ever happened, so... Yeah, I'm I'm pumped about Jed Lowry. I've always loved Jed, and he's, he's finally a Met. This is this is a dream come true. All right, all right. Well, Jed, we're going to wrap the show tonight with Jed Lowry. Oh, yeah. Kick the show off with Javier Baez, the first overall second baseman on the board with a 12.82 ADP. He's eligible at third base and shortstop. Baez made his haters, me chief among them, look very foolish last year. Are you willing to buy the career year from the Swiss Army Knife? Yeah, I'm buying the career year. I think we see more of the same from Baez going forward. Is he going to, you know, hit 34 bombs and steal 21 bases? Maybe not. Maybe it's a, it's a tick lower, but I think that's right around where we're going to see. I think he's uh, as safe as can be right now. I think he's finally put it all together and become a veteran hitter, and I think you have nothing to worry about. He's a lock for the top second baseman in fantasy. Oh, uh, see, you know, I, I just I do not agree with that. I vowed to learn my lesson from Baez last year, and I have been more open minded when it comes to these hyper aggressive type of hitters. But at or near a first round price tag is simply too much of an investment for me in a player that has very obvious flaws. Um, he swings a lot at pitches outside the zone, a forty five percent chase rate. And he's not a good contact guy outside of the zone, just a fifty four point nine percent. Uh, contact rate on outside pitches, uh, nearly an 18% swing strike rate. The contact rate is sub 70%, just a 4.5% walk rate. All of the plate discipline metrics just tell me that this is a player that's got some pretty significant risk, and he's ripe for the league to take advantage of that aggressiveness. Um, and you compare that with a Babbitt that's in the 340s, which is tough to project for anyone. There's just a lot of different paths for him to fall down the batting ad- average spectrum. Um, he, as in terms of base running, he was pretty much a scratch base runner, 21 of 30. Um, you know, that's not hyper efficient. Uh, it's not so terrible that they'll stop him. Um, 24.3% homer to fly ball rate. That's nearly 25% higher than his career average. So, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of, noise that says the batting average is probably a little bit too high um, and and that adds up to a lot of significant downside on the batting average end. And then you've got the home to fly ball rate that was higher, significantly higher than at any point prior in his career. So, I mean, when I look at Baez, I sort of see like a 270, 25, 15 type, um, which is a really nice player, especially with three positions. But there's no way I'm taking him over a top 25 talent. I mean, I think that this price is way, way too high. And I, and I get the upside. I do. And I'll acknowledge it. I mean, he's done it. But, I mean, there's some real downside here, Jim. Like, the fact that yeah. this guy swings at every single thing under the sun doesn't concern well, you, you, you know at all. I love, you know I love those guys. We'll I know you more do. Of that later. <laughs> You're like the only person that likes them. No, well, listen, <laughs> I, I do agree that the price is a bit high, but but – I do think he's the best second baseman on the board, and I, I think he's pretty safe. I really do. He's he's gonna have he's gonna be streaky. He's gonna have some days where you want to you know he's gonna drive you nuts, swinging at terrible pitches, and 
and being over-aggressive. But I think at the end of the year, he's going to have a pretty similar stat line to where he ended up last year. All right, well, let's let's jump to Jose Altuve, 16.98. Before we talk specifically about Altuve, you've obviously got Baez over Altuve if you think that Baez is the, the top second baseman on the board. Yeah, I do. Why, I, why is that? I just think he uh, – listen, the yeah, Altuve injury concerns – are you know rearing their head? I mean, if he's if he's healthy, he's gonna have another phenomenal season. But I just think the the, the power numbers combined with the injury risk puts Baez, you know, square above Altuve. Yeah, I mean, you can tell just from the way that I talked about Baez that I'm obviously on the Altuve bandwagon here. Right. Um, you know, but to me, Altuve's knee was just a complete wreck last year. He's had the surgery. He's not that old. I mean, he's only 28. So I'm not ready to close the door on him. Um, you know, I, I think he's a kind of a player that's a little younger than you think he is. Um, if the knee returns to normal, I think a return to the land of 2030 with like a 315 batting average is not out of the question with premium run production, given the fact that he's in such a good lineup. And, you know, I, I will admit, you do have to be a little worried about the Astros running. Um, you know, it seems as though they're trying to turn it down a little bit across their lineups. Um, but, you know, even then, it's 2020, 315. Um, you know, because he was 17 of 21 with one leg, I'm willing to bet that the steals are at least at a 25 level. Um, so, I mean, he's got a really, really healthy floor, provided he doesn't miss a lot of time. Um you know, I mean, even if he's twenty twenty and he's going to hit like three fifteen plus, like there's just not that many guys that do that. There's hardly any that do that in today's game. No, you're right. I, listen, I'm not trying to shit and think, you know, put out two way down at all. Obviously, if he happens to get overlooked in a draft, I'm going to take him. Uh, I don't see that really happening, but I mean, there's a chance some people are a little worried about him. I don't think he's declining. I think he's still got plenty of good years ahead of him. I just think, you know, if you with the power numbers and the injury risk, if you combine the two, I think Baez is the safer play. Well, what do you think about Altuve's price at sixteen point nine eight? You know, that's a second round pick in twelve and fifteen team leagues. Are you okay with him there, or do you have him lower than that? Off the top I, of your head, no, I think he's fine right around there. If I, I think that's right where he belongs. If he happened to slip a few spots after that and he fell to me, I would love taking him in a spot like that. I think you're getting a steal. I'm, I'm really not too worried about him, but I just do like Baez better. Okay, let's take it to Whit Merrifield, uh, 30.84 ADP. He's got eligibility in the outfield. Um, he followed up on a breakout season with another solid season. The market is really starting to buy in. Uh, you know, personally, I don't know that I can buy him, though, as a third-round selection given the surroundings. The steals were obviously excellent at 45, but Merrifield did a lot of good stuff last year. The walk rate surged to 8.6%. You had a big uh, increase in Babbitt, and that was due to a more line drive focus, um, coupled with an increase in hard contact rate. He was also able to keep his power in the teens, making him a non-zero in power. Uh, Skill-wise, I don't think we can count on a career-high walk rate and career-high batting average numbers reoccurring in 2019. And importantly, even with those numbers in his favor, the career highs in both those categories, 
Merrifield posted just 148 runs plus RBIs. So logically, if you're going to project a decrease in batting average and a decrease in OBP, you can probably count on a decrease in run production as well. And that's really the primary issue here. I mean, his ADP neighborhood is right around Andrew Benintendi. And while Benintendi might not have the speed upside that Merrifield does, he's going to post somewhere around 50 more runs plus RBIs. Um, And, and, you know, like anything else, you can find runs and RBIs later in the pool. But I just don't think you can sell Merrifield as a five-category contributor when he's really lacking premier production in those categories. Um, You know, maybe at the turn in a 15-teamer, I can sneak him into the third round. But I don't want him at a top 30 cost. Uh, Jake, what do you think about the price? And and what do you think about Merrifield overall? I think a lot of what you said is true. I think the price is a bit high. I understand the intrigue, the the 40-plus steals makes it very intriguing. But for a third-round pick, I think it's definitely too high. Uh, you know, I like the player, but like exactly what you said, I hate the surroundings, don't like the lineup around him. Uh, I don't have a problem if someone takes him there, but it's just not going to be me. I'm not going to be the person to take him in the third round. Okay, Ozzy Albies is the fourth second baseman, a 50.14 ADP. After a red-hot start, Albies cooled considerably. But the full-year line looks pretty good. Are you expecting more, less, or about the same from Ozzy Albies? I think we see about the same. I know it was you know, kind of an up and down roller coaster kind of season, the red hot start. And, you know, like you said, the cooling off towards the second half. But I think this is only a player that's just, you know, growing in, into his own confidence. And he's in a really good lineup, a good team. I think he's the, the sky's the limit for him. I, I see him putting up a similar year at the end of the year. I think you'll look and see a very similar stat line. Uh, I really love the player. And I think he uh, the, the 20 bombs, 15 steals, and a good offense, a team on the rise, the counting numbers should stay the same or maybe go a little higher. Uh, I'm buying the first half production and think he has a more consistent year. I mean, I was a little surprised because, I mean, there seems to be a lot of sentiment out there that I've seen that Albies is sort of let a lot of his owners down last year but he still seems to be carrying a pretty decent price tag. He still seems pretty expensive to me. Um, You know, he went from being one of 2017's major helium stocks to being viewed by the industry at least. And, and, you know, as as an overpriced asset, despite being pretty good overall last year, I mean, he showed some pop. He ran a bit though, maybe not as much as was expected. The BABIP gods weren't kind. And some of that admittedly is earned. But he scored over 100 runs. Um, it's unclear where he fits in the lineup. It promises to be pretty good this year with the full year of Acuna and the addition of Donaldson. And I don't think the Braves are done either. There's some talk that they might be in on A.J. Pollock. Um, Albies was a little aggressive at the dish. Swing strike rate at 11.5%. A little higher than I would have anticipated. And the chase rate was up 5% year over year. I mean, obviously, 2017 was a... Uh, limited sample. Um, that's not, that's not a really good look though. Uh, he really struggled down the stretch, 226, 282, 342 slash in the second half. And that's probably why everyone's lukewarm. You know, nobody ever really remembers hot first halves. Everybody remembers bad second halves. Um, but I'm expecting about the same. I'm with you, Jabe. I mean, maybe there's a little shift from power 
to speed um, in his career. He's 14 of 17. He's highly efficient on the base paths. Um, I think overall he ends up being about the same player in terms of value. Um, I also believe there's a little bit of growth to come on the batting average side. Uh, you can put me down for like a 270, 21 homer, 17 steal with good run production. I, I think he's a pretty nice player. I, I do think it's a little high for my taste, though. Okay, I'm going to move it to Gleyber Torres, a 54.3 ADP, shortstop eligible. Uh, he had a very good rookie year. Do you prefer Torres with the shortstop eligibility, or would you prefer Albies? As much as I like Albies, I just, you know, talked about how much I like him. I think Torres is the better pick here, especially if it's a couple picks after. Uh, I definitely have him ranked higher than Albies. Uh, I have such a man crush on Torres. I know a lot of people do. It's not, not saying anything out of the ordinary. I think this guy's got, you know, best player in the game potential in a few years. Uh, he hit, what, 24 home runs in 123 games. Obviously missed some time. I think if he plays close to 150, there's – a chance he could hit 35 home runs in Yankee Stadium. I really do. I think he's going to hit 30-plus without a doubt. Uh, he's going to steal more bases. He only stole six. I could see Torres with a 35-10 and 10 line at the end of the year. You know the county stats are going to be there. The Yankees, uh, great lineup. Wow. Uh, and, yeah, I think he's going to have a phenomenal year, and it's going to be more of the same going forward. It's going to be a lot of good years to come from Gleyber Torres. Yeah, you're, you are very, very aggressive. I, I actually like Albies better. Um, and that's really just about the stolen base upside. I think the power is comparable. They both sport less than ideal plate discipline. Um, you know, but I talked about Albie's chase rate. Glaber's is 34.4% with a string strike rate of 14%. That's, that's worrisome. Um, and it's not all about, you know, the plate discipline. I do like the batted ball distribution he definitely has the power and average combo that I'm really coveting this year. He's got enough fly balls to take advantage of the power tool and the ballpark, enough line drives to keep the BABIP up, which is what you saw last year, 321 BABIP. I don't think the power upside is as high as UJAP at all. Um, you know, I, I, the power, the expected homers was about 19, so there's a dip of five there. So you might have gotten a little lucky on, on the power output last year, and that would put him more in line with like a – 23-24 full season pace. Um, so, I mean, if you give him the additional volume he'll get this year, you're probably looking at a very similar homer total, in my opinion. Not up to 35, but close, a lot closer to 25. Um, and, and while I don't expect him to hit high in the order, even though he hit towards the back, he was still producing about a run or an RBI per game. That's how good that Yankee lineup was. So now, I mean, you're going to have a full year of Judge, presumably, a full year of, of Torres, of course, who we're talking about, presumably a healthy Gary Sanchez, and then potentially a player of Manny Machado's caliber. It's, it's a totally loaded lineup. Um, but even with that, I do think the volume could hurt Glaber a little bit compared to Albies. Um, you know, I, I think Glaber is going to finish like 23, 24 homers, five to seven steals a 265, 270 type average. So you can see, I, I think that they're pretty close. I just think that Albies is going to swipe more bags. And I think he's going to be in a bit better of a lineup spot. So that's why I prefer him, despite the fact that Glaber's got the shortstop eligibility. I, I yeah. think that Glaber's just a little, I said that, I said that Albies, I think is a little overpriced. I think, I think Glaber's a little bit more overpriced. 
obviously I just love Gleyber Torres and I think he's got phenomenal talent and I think he's, he's really going to show something. All right, let's move to the sixth second baseman. We got Scooter Jeanette, 94.86. He followed up a breakout 2017 with another great year. You know, although I like the player a lot, I'm not prepared to call this a huge value. I think the price is about right. He's a really nice four category guy, 20, 25 Homer pop. 170 runs plus RBIs is about what I would expect. And an average that I think is going to float close to two, between 290 and 300. Um, the homer total was, you know, underwhelming compared to what he did in 2017 uh, because the homer to fly ball rate actually ticked down. Um, and it ticked down probably below where I would expect it to be. So maybe he finds a middle ground between this year um, and last so between 2017 and 2018 and lend in the 16 to 17% homer to fly ball range. And if that's the case, then he's back around 25 bombs for a full season. Um, the hard contact rate was up 38%. So he may have deserved a few of those bombs he gave back. Um, he's zero in speed. So you're probably going to need some of it in place to take scooter. You're going to need somebody that's swiping bags to help make up for the fact that he doesn't, especially at a position where, you can grab 10, 15, 20 steals pretty easily. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm all about banking that batting average and run production. Uh, you know, I, I really like the player. Uh, and the only thing that really ke- keeps me from calling him a really significant value is that similar players like Robinson Cano and Daniel Murphy um, with the pre-ADP, uh, pre-signing ADP cooked in are going after him. Now, I mean, Murphy's risen up the board, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that later. Um, and he might even rise up the board a little more. Cano is probably going to remain flat. Um, but those sort of good, not great power sources with plus batting average, I think are a little underrated. And I really think they're excellent to pair with your high upside, low floor speedsters. What's your take on Scooter, Jit? I think a lot of what you said is true. Uh, I think the price is appropriate. Uh, I think it's very fair. Um, if he, if he does, you know, two really solid seasons in a row, if he does anything close to what he did these last two years, like around the 300 average and 25 bombs, you'll live with it. You'll love to have that at second base and you could find speed elsewhere. I think the breakout is real. I think that he's going to have another solid season. Uh, I think the price is fair. I think a lot of what you said is accurate and I agree with it. Yeah. And I mean, we shouldn't undersell that lineup, right? I mean, you got, you got Joey Votto. You've got Eugenio Suarez. They've added Yasiel Puig. Um, A lot of people like Jesse Winker a lot. Jose Peraza. Um, You know, it's a a really, really good lineup, and he's right in the middle of it. So, you know, even if the power is low 20s, I firmly believe in the run production. Um, And, you know, if you're not a big believer in the power, you have to remember that Cincinnati is a ballpark that's, fantastic for power it was the most homer friendly ballpark in the majors so even if you really believe that he's true talent like a 17 homer 18 homer guy when you factor in the great american ballpark you i mean it's really easy to see the path to 22 23 homers okay we're gonna move to the seventh overall second baseman jonathan vr 102.85 he's got shortstop in 10 games started formats and there is the possibility that he adds it in season um, in formats that require 20 appearances. 
He's climbing up the board slowly but steadily. Uh, the market is still a little cautious with the price of speed being very expensive. Are you willing to bet on a player that's not far removed from a 19 homer 62 steal season? I'm not willing to bet on him at this price. Uh, he had a you know better second half of the year after he got traded. Uh, but now he's in you know, a significantly worse lineup in Baltimore. You know, they're not, their their opening day projected lineup is not very pretty. I uh, worry about him maybe. I mean, I'm not sure if this is going to happen, but there's a chance he can get a little home run happy in Camden Yards and try to kind of lose his swing a little bit. Uh, we do not want to see a player like that do that. You want him, you know, you want him getting on base and stealing bases. That's why you're drafting him. Uh, I'm not going to jump on him at a premium price, but his speed is still very valuable, and I'm going to keep an eye on him in drafts. If he slips a little bit, definitely take a shot on him, but I'm not super high on Villar. Yeah, I mean, anybody that listens to this show knows I have a special place in my heart for Jonathan Villar. Yes. I've literally brought him up on every single episode since the season ended <laughs> in some form or another. Um, you know, I had him pegged as a, as a breakout in 2016. That year he had that big year. And, I, you know, I also said post-trade last year, uh, you know, it's a guy that you want to go and get because he's going to have a nice run in Baltimore with unencumbered playing time. It's not always pretty, but he's undeniably a explosive fantasy asset. So in the two months in, vault, in Baltimore, VR hit eight bombs and stole 21 bags in 236 plate appearances. Over a full season's pace, that's a 24-homer, 63-steal line which is similar to what he did in his breakout 2016. Now, I'm not projecting him for that, but this is the exact same type of talent that people want Aldoberto Mondesi to be, except there's a couple of differences. One, Mondesi is way more expensive. You're talking about 60 picks between the two of them. Two, VR has failed before and Mondesi has not. Three, VR has done it over a full season before and Mondesi has not. And four, VR can take a walk and Mondesi won't. But listen, you don't ever have to project a player for that type of season. You don't ever have to put a guy at 285 and 62 seals when he's only done it once and there's a track record of him not achieving those levels consistently. But, I mean, even look at last year. He was 14 homers, 35 steals, 260. And it wasn't in full-time playing time because Milwaukee was moving him in and out of the lineup. Um, so, you know, you tack on another 10 steals to that missing playing time, and that's what I think he'll be. He'll be about a 14, he'll be about a 15 homer, 45 steal guy with about a 260 average. And, Jake, to your point, yeah, the situation in Baltimore isn't as pretty in terms of the lineup that's around him. But it also works in his favor, too, because he's not going to get taken out of the lineup like he ended up, ended up happening in Milwaukee. That's true. They're going to play him, and he's, he's going to be able to play unencumbered. I, I firmly believe that there was a little bit of human element in what happened to Jonathan VR. He had the huge season. They were talking extension. He got off to a really, really slow start. Milwaukee started to plug him in and out of the lineup and move him around to different positions and he lost it and he was never able to get that sort of roll back. Now he's on another team that's going to let him run freely. That's going to play him every day and it's going to be a low pressure atmosphere. 
And I, I just think that there's a lot of upside here, especially considering comparable assets that are going for much, much more at the draft table. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't really think about as bad as, you know, the Orioles will probably be. They might just let him run crazy and, and do whatever he wants. And, you know, he's going to have a lot less pressure on him, like you said. And he's maybe he's banking on this year as, you know, his comeback year with no pressure on him on a bad team. And he's just going to run wild. I didn't think about that to a point. Yeah. Okay, let's move to Travis Shaw, completely different type of player, okay. former teammate of VRs at 104.55. He's got third base eligibility. He had that sneaky ad of second base eligibility for following the trade for Mike Moustakis. It makes him more interesting. Who do you prefer at their cost, Travis Shaw or Scooter Jeanette? This is pretty close. Uh, I think Jeanette is probably the better player, but if you take the 10 picks into account later that Shaw is going, I think I'd probably go Shaw. You know, what you're going to lose in average from Shaw, you're going to make up for in, in power. Uh, he actually stole one more base than Scooter. So it was like five to four. So, if you, if, you know, we were talking about Scooter not stealing at all before. Maybe Shaw's got a little more speed than him. Uh, I'm definitely on board with Shaw at this price. I like him a lot. But I still like Scooter. I think this is very close, but I'm going to take Shaw on the spot. Yeah, I think a lot of it's dependent on team context. I mean, if I've got the batting average base, give me Shaw for the power. And he does have a little bit of sneaky speed. He only stole five last year, but he's been very efficient in his career, and he stole ten the year before. Right. So I think I, I think I'm looking at him as like a seven or eight steal guy. Um, you know, and and given the cost difference, in a vacuum, I'm probably going Shaw as well. And I, I think yeah, Shaw might even be like the breakout that everyone's missing. Uh, he walked at a thirteen percent clip. The strikeout rate shrunk down to eighteen percent. And those numbers are surprising, given the fact that the average went all the way down to 241. But it's everything Everything has to do with the Babbitt. It was 242. That's 44 points below his career average, despite no real significant change from the player that he's been. The line drive rate was down 1% from his career average. The ground ball rate was down 1%. The fly ball rate was up 2%. The infield hit percentage was up 1%. But these aren't significant changes. You know, this isn't a player that suddenly started hitting fly balls at like a uh, at a 20% increase. You know, it, this is just, he's the same guy that he's been and he just ran into some bad luck when the ball went into play this year. Um, X stats indicates that he probably deserves about 30 points back. Um, and if that happens, then he's a 270 bat. Um, the overall, overall, the pop has ticked up in his time with Milwaukee as expected. So if he's a 30 homer bat who can swipe seven or eight bags and hit around 270, um, he's a really good asset. And, and I think that he's a good buy given the fact that the batting average is probably keeping his, his value down. Um, and, you know, he's going to hit in the middle of a lineup that's loaded, you know, Christian Yelich, uh, Lorenzo Kane, Ryan Braun still has something left. Jesus Aguilar. Now he has money. Yasmani. Yasmani will probably hit behind him, but yeah, the lineup is loaded. And they're going to add somebody to the play second, too. And they've got, and whoever it is, they've got, a, they've got a, one of the best hitting prospects in baseball, Keston Hayura, behind him. So, I mean, even if that guy doesn't work out, they've got a premium prospect coming up to, to take a spot. So it's a really, really nice situation. Um, and he's got some eligibility, too, which is nice. 
Okay, let's move to D. Gordon, 112.11, excuse me. He's got outfield, and he's going to have shortstop in five games started formats. Off a down year, we're unsure if D is batting first or ninth or Seattle, but if he's hitting ninth, I think things get a little tough because the volume is going to be significantly lower than Gordon has seen in his best years. Based on last year's sample where he started hitting ninth in August, Gordon would have accumulated about 575 plate appearances in slightly less plate appearances last year. He swiped just 30 bags on 42 attempts. Now, some of it certainly due to poor Babbitt, um, 304 compared to a 338 career average. If you can get the average closer to 295 with the uptick in Babbitt, maybe the volume doesn't matter as much, but he's been an up and down batting average source year to year. Uh, and he doesn't walk 1.5% last year. So he's going to rise or fall based on his balls in play. Um, and then you have to consider the fact that they've added uh, a speedster that can, that can run and take a walk in Mallet Smith. So it seems likely Gordon's going to bat ninth. And if he is, I don't think that he's going to get the runs back up to a level where they're in the 85 to 90 range like they were in his heyday. So then you're really looking at a two-category asset and a three-category drain. Um, he's a really tough asset to own at that point. So, I mean, maybe Gordon is the player that you pair with Joey Gallo and you combine the two and it gets you something like a 20-homer, 25-steal, 260-hitter with about, on average, 150 runs plus RBIs in the aggregate. You know, you form two players like that by combining the two of them. But I mean, to me, he's just too much of a negative in certain categories for my taste. Um, the only plus is that in a daily format where you can make your daily lineup changes, he's the kind of guy that you can plug in and plug out, um, you know, when you need a steal or, or if you need some batting average uh, where you, maybe you've locked up power and you've locked up runs and you don't need to worry about those as much. That I think is his best utility, but Again, he's expensive. It's 100, 112 overall. So you're, you're really paying up for what is a part-time player probably in his best format. I don't know, Jay. What do you think? Like, where, where are you on Gordon? What's your temperature? Uh, I think I might be completely out on Gordon on draft day. I might just cross him off my board and not even think about him because a lot of what you said is true. If he's not stealing you bases, he's not very useful at all. He doesn't do anything else. He had, like uh, you mentioned, the walk rate. He had nine total walks last year. Uh, for a premier base stealer, guys you want on base, nine walks is just not going to cut it. Uh, oh, yeah, but Javier Baez is 14. We're, we're enough for you, right? Well, but he's hitting 30 home runs. <laughs> it's a huge difference. He's hitting 30 home runs on a great team with a ton of counting stats and a close to 300 average. By the way, I just want to point out, I know that Javier Baez, at least I think he walked more than 14 times. But, yeah. okay. <laughs> you know, right. but you understand Listen. it the point i think uh you know just looking looking at the numbers he stole over 50 bases every year in miami uh except for the year he got hurt in 2016 and this year he goes right down to uh last year he went right down to 30 i mean that's pretty alarming i'm guessing you know he ran a lot less also because you know big boppers behind him he had Cruz, hanniger seager maybe they were just you know keeping him at first base they didn't want to run themselves out of big innings and i i worry about that and like you said, uh, the projected lineup right now has got him batting ninth. Uh, he's kind of big man. 
maybe have another huge year and steal 50 bases. It's possible, but I, I don't think he gets on base quite enough for that. And he doesn't do anything else. He's not going to, you know, it'd be nice if he, if he hit 15 home runs and you can make more of a case for him, but he doesn't. He had four home runs last year and, and that tied his career high. So Yeah, no, he, there's no power. So right, it's not, so it's not it's coming. He, he's one category to me, you know, literally. If 637, if he's not stealing bases, he's useless. He's pretty much become Billy Hamilton at this point. Yeah, but I mean, he's got he's got enough in the tank that he can he can hit two ninety, where Hamilton can never do that. You know, so, right? You're right. He's he's better than Billy Hamilton. So like his floor is like good Billy Hamilton. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like Billy Hamilton is the poor man's D Gordon. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's fair. So yeah, I think I'm pretty much out on him. I'm I'm not going to take him on draft day. I know that's a fact. I'm I'm out. Okay, 10th, second baseman, we've got Rugnan Odor, 124.39. He had a mild bounce back in 2018, and he's been all over the map in his career. Still only 24. Are you investing here? I can see myself investing on him here. I, I, I'm a big Odor guy. I know he's extremely, been extremely inconsistent. Uh, he can drive you crazy sometimes, but he had a you know, really solid year last year. The, uh, I mean – he he's done on a great team. He missed some time, but I could see the thirty home run potential come back. He missed uh, about thirty games or so. He still hit eighteen. He hit thirty and thirty three the year before. I, I really still do like the player. I, I think if he plays a full season, he's a lock for like twenty five to thirty home runs and fifteen steals. And you know, if he has another a monster year like he did two years ago, maybe it even exceeds those numbers. So I, I have no problem taking him at this spot. I think he's he's worth the pick. Yeah, he's he's very interesting because I mean he's the type of player that's been around so long that you you don't think he's twenty four. Yeah, but I mean he made some pretty decent improvements last year in a couple of spots. The walk rate went up to eight percent. That coincided with trimming his chase rate and showing more patience at the plate generally. There's still some work to do there, and the walk rate is probably higher than I anticipate it would anticipate, but there's definitely some progress there. Um, he also is, he's also has upped his contact percentage, despite swinging less. He cut his swing strike rate by two percent. That's very encouraging. Um, so you have more patience, you've got more contact, and you have better contact. The hard contact rate was up to forty five point two percent. The infield fly ball rate was all the way down to eleven percent. He had the highest line drive rate of his career. So those are all good things, uh, especially for batting average and power. Um, so a lot of the good stuff came in the second half. He really lost the infield fly ball issue. The line drive rate surged. Hard contact was over 50%. And it's a, it's a really nice sign that all that damage didn't come in September. It came before it. So, you know, it wasn't a case where he was taking advantage of AAA pitchers at the end of the season. So, you know, these were all great signs. Now, the downside only really came on two fronts. The home runs dropped down to 18. Jape, as you mentioned, he missed some time. So some of it's volume. And then some of it's on the homer to fly ball rate, which was down to 13.7%, down approximately 4% from where he was in prior years, and partially on a drop in the number of fly balls that he hits. He was down 3%. So I don't mind the drop in fly balls because he's getting it back on the Babbitt front. But, you know, I think the power is a legitimate – I think he's a legitimate 25 home run hitter. 
Now, the other downside is the stolen base, the stolen bases. He stole 12, which on its face is fine, and that would put him at about a 15 clip. But he was a, only a 50% base runner in terms of success rate. So he ran and was successful 12 times. He got caught 12 times. Um, so, you know, he hasn't been red-lighted as we've – at least we haven't heard that he's been red-lighted at this point. He actually had more attempts in the second half. Um, and Texas is expected to, to be bad, so maybe the leeway continues, um, you know, just because they're going to be trying to manufacture runs. But there is the possibility, possibility out there that they also put the clamps on him because he's running into too many outs. Um, you know, but overall, in terms of how I view him, I'm intrigued by the gains. You know, 25 years old, this could be him entering the next phase of his career where he's kind of figured things out. Uh, you know, you've got signs of growth. You've got power. He's documented that 30 Homer seasons before and a willingness to run, even though he may not be very successful at it. He's willing to. Um, so it's a very real, a, a very, a very intriguing combination of skills that Odor possesses. And it's the price isn't prohibitive. So yeah, I'm in and I should be hitting towards the middle of the lineup and that lineup shouldn't be too bad. You know, you've got Elvis Andrews coming back healthy. You've got Shin Su Shin Chu, who is always on base. You've got Joey Gallo. Um, you've got Nomar Mazzara, who's, who's another young player that might be coming into his own. So you've got some pieces there. The lineup isn't devoid of talent either. So there should be some run production. Yeah, I like Odor. I, I think he's actually pretty good. All right, that'll move it to Robinson Cano, 130.8. He's got first base eligibility and 10 games started leads. I touched on Cano as one of my favorite year-over-year -year fallers in terms of draft value. What do you make of the Mets' new second baseman? I'm pretty worried about Cano. I think I might be totally out on him as well on draft day. Uh, I think I mean it's possible Good. that he has, Good. It, More for yeah. me. Yeah, well, I think it's possible that he has a solid season, but I'm not going to be the one to find out. I want somebody else, you know, bask in the glory if they turn out to be right. I worry about a player that's, you know, entering his 14th season – age 36, coming off a PED suspension. You, you know, we never know what a PED suspension, how much it really meant to a guy, how much it was really, you know, helping him play and how much it's going to hurt him if he's not using anything now. That's always just a little gray area. Um, but, I mean, his numbers have been declining since he's been in Seattle. Uh, I think the switch to the National League is kind of undervalued, but I think it's, it's something that is worth noting. Uh, he's going to be facing – better pitching in the NL East. He's going to face Scherzer and Strasburg a handful of times. Philly's got some good young pitching and a tougher ballpark. Yeah, but I mean, field. he was facing Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander. So, that's I true. Mean... That's true. That's true. I mean, overall, I mean, the NL just has better pitching. When he was in those Yankees on those, in those years, he was not, not facing the greatest pitching. I, I worry about him. I, I, if, if I would love to say that he has 25 home runs. And bats in close to 100 RBIs, that would be amazing. That would mean the Mets are probably in the playoffs. But um, maybe it's the pessimism in me. Uh, I think he's in for a down year. I think he's going to be a useful player for the Mets. I don't think the fantasy value is going to be, be there. And I'm definitely more interested in a guy like Murphy we're going to talk about next uh, at, at a later pick. Yeah, but I mean, uh, we can talk about Murphy in a minute. But we, we both know that that price is inflated. Based well, upon right, his, yeah. when he wasn't signed to Colorado. Right. But to me, I, with Cano, I think there's a lot to like here. 
So, I mean, I disagree with you. I'm in the only reasons that I see for a steep discount like this is playing time volume last year and injury concern uh, due to age. And I think both of those reasons are foolish. I mean, on the first front, Cano wasn't hurt last year. He was suspended. So the playing time volume isn't because of injury. And on the second, you know, while age really did decline is a concern, there are real, really no signs that Cano is beginning any sort of steep decline. Um, he played 80 games last year, so we have a good idea of what his full season pace would look like. Uh, you simply have to double it. So, I mean, it's 20 homers, 88 runs, 100 RBIs, and a 303 batting average. You want to guess how many players hit 20 homers or more, scored at least 85 runs, drove in at least 100 runs, and hit 295 or better? Do you have a guess? For how many years? Last year. How many players did that last year? Uh. 20 Probably homers, 85 runs, 100 runs, driven in, 295 or better. Uh, Trout and Betts, maybe a couple of J.D. Martinez. Any more? Christian Yelich. Okay, so four? Four. <laughs> so, I mean, and yeah, those are arbitrary cutoffs, admittedly. You know, I'm not going to turn around to you and say as though, you know, if I would have shifted it down to 80 runs or 95 runs driven in or – whatever, it, it, it would have completely skewed the numbers. But it just shows that this sort of all-around profile, when you take the speed out, can get kind of undersold. And there are similar players to Cano that are going much higher. Jeanette, which we already, who we already mentioned. Um, but, I mean, there are other players that aren't all that different from uh, Cano. I mean, baseline Anthony Rendon at 48.64 is basically the same. You know, 20s power run production, 290 hitter. That's Anthony Rendon. And Nick Castellanos is another one going right around Scooter Jeanette at 91.36. Castellanos doesn't have any speed. He's going to hit for around 25 homers. He's going to drive in some runs. You know, he's the same type of player. So, I mean, Cano is is really not any different than those guys that are going more expensive. The only difference is, is Cano missed some time last year because of the suspension. And he's older. Um, you know, his profile skews towards line drivers, line drives and grounders. Um, that, along with only a 13% K rate, is why he's a plus batting average source. The hard contact was actually a career high at 41.5%. That's, that's another reason why I'm not worried about decline, because he's still hitting the ball hard or as hard as he has, ever has. Um, you know, and that, that means to me there's enough power in the bat to make the most of the fly balls that he does hit. The lineup should be somewhat comparable year over year to what he's leaving in Seattle. Um, so, I mean, I really like Cano. I'm trying to get him in multiple spots because I think that he's one of the more undervalued assets on the board. Well, one more thing I want to point out. I, I, I Like I said when I started, I think it, it is possible he can have a solid season, but I'm just not going to be the person to find that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back away and not take that chance because I am, I am down on him. And, and one more thing, he, he doesn't have, you know, Nelson Cruz behind him anymore. Uh, projected Met lineup, he's got, like, Todd Frazier and, and Michael Conforto behind him. If Cespedes is healthy to start the season, that's a little bit of a different idea. He's got a lot more protection. So I just – I do worry about the league switch and the team switch at, I, and the age. You don't know how much the PEDs were really playing a part in his performance. So I'm just a little weary. And I'm gonna I think away. you underestimate how good Michael Conforto is. No, I love Michael Conforto. It just – I don't know 
what we're going to see from him. He's another guy that drives you crazy. Well, I think he'll, I think he's going to get healthy this year and show what he showed in the second half for almost a full season. Well, let's hope. But um, okay, so Daniel Murphy, twelfth at second base, one fifty point eight um, has has first base eligibility due to ten games started. Um, you know, we touched on him briefly last week's pod uh, with Toby uh, at Batflip Crazy. Uh, you know, and we really said that you could probably throw this ADP out. And, yeah, if you look, he's at 92.29 since the signing. So he's up around Scooter Jeanette, about four or five rounds higher. Um, so, I mean, who do you like better in that case? Do you want Murphy or do you want Jeanette? And do you think that 92.29 is high enough, or are you willing to go higher than that? I'm willing to go a little bit higher than that. I definitely want him over Jeanette. I mean, this might be a cliche thing, but, I mean, a player like Murphy and Coors is kind of like a dream scenario. Uh, he's going to have – you know, we know how smart of a hitter he is. He's going to have great hitters and a great offense around him. He's in the, one of the best ballparks, obviously, to hit. And he hit, as you know, he finally learned in the last couple of years how to hit fly balls. That's when we saw his home run numbers come up. And where else do you want to learn how to hit fly balls but in Coors Field? I think he's really going to take advantage of that. He's a super smart hitter. I think he's in for a huge season if he stays healthy. And I can really see possibly his – best career year this year if, if all goes according to plan and he's, he stays on the field. I don't see any reason why he doesn't have a monster year. Yeah, give me Murphy uh, just because the upside in Coors is astronomical. You know, I would be skeptical in another location that he could put up numbers similar to his best with the Nats. But, you know, the upside is 25-plus homers, 315-plus batting average in Coors. Um, you know, after a slow start, Murph put together a 600 plate appearance pace of 24 homers, 315, 355, 499 in terms of slash. Um, that's just to show, and just to show how good he was feeling, he also swiped three bags, <laughs> which is a little bit surprising. So, I mean, you know, maybe he's going to, maybe he'll chip in five steals as well if he's feeling good enough. Um, the potential for missed time is certainly there, but I expect the Rockies to treat him with kid gloves at first base. Um, you know, they, they might move some guys around. Desmond can play first. They might give Murph a day off or two, you know, every couple of weeks. Might hurt his volume a little bit. But listen, this is just a guy you want to stay healthy. I mean, you can deal with the missed – you can deal with a couple of missed games here and there to keep him healthy because if he's in the lineup, I think he's going to be very, very productive. Um, I was definitely going to be in at 150. I'm still in at 92. I'm not quite sure where my breaking point is. I guess maybe around 75. Um, you know, as again, as I said with Jeanette and uh, Cano, I think they're three very similar players with very similar skill sets. And, you know, Murphy's just got the ceiling now because of cores. But I, he's also got a very real floor because of the injury concerns. Um you know, I'm definitely hoping that the injury concerns and skepticism regarding them keeps the helium in check because I'm really very intrigued by what a line drive machine like Murphy can do inside the confines, of course. I think it could be special, and I want some shares of it. Okay, let's move it to the 13th overall second baseman, Brian Dozier, 153.86. Signed to the Nats today on a one-year deal, $9 million. Given his track record, don't you think that this is a little harsh off his first down season in some time? 
I, I do think it's a little harsh, but I mean, it's kind of justified. He's, you know, been declining. He last, you know, 16, oh, sorry, he had uh, 21 home runs last year after uh, 34 the year before, 42. But he is only two years removed from a 42 home run, 18 steal season. So, you know, we obviously know the player's got talent and he, he kind of can drive you crazy sometimes. The batting average has plummeted uh, last year, which you don't love. You bet a 215 for the year. Partially, that could be, you know, because of the trade, the new surroundings. He had a terrible time in, in, in Los Angeles. He was pretty dreadful. He batted a 182 after the well, trade. Well, there's also, there's also some. There's also a theory circulating that he was actually hurt. Right. Um, there was no DL, but he suffered a bone bruise in April, and he never felt right all year after aggravating it in May. Um, you know, I only saw reports of this very recently. So, I mean, if the injury was really the cause, I really think that this could be significant value. I don't, I don't, I, I think that there's a very real case to be made that Dozier wasn't right and that, you know, he could do major things in Washington. I'm sorry, Jay, but I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to throw that out there because you were talking about. Yeah. No, no, it's a good point. I, I was basically done. I just want, uh, one more thing I saw, I know he only signed today. So we don't know how current this is, but current projections have him batting fifth behind Soto. That's not a terrible landing spot for him. I think he, he could definitely uh, be in for a surprise bounce back season from him. Like I said, he's only two years removed from 42 bombs and 18 steals. If he comes anywhere close to that, you know he's obviously got the potential. Uh, he's obviously worth keeping an eye on on draft day. Yeah, I think some of this is that he burned people last year. I also think a decent amount is free agent uncertainty. I mean, obviously now he's signed, so we'll get a better feel for where he's going to be. I suspect he's going to climb in a lineup with Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon, Trey Turner, Adam Eaton. Uh, I don't think Ryan Zimmerman's done either. You know, I could see him climb about 25, 30 spots from here. Um, you know, a lot of his struggles last year were Babbitt related. Um, the play discipline was sound and consistent. The infield fly ball percentage was up 4%. The home run fly ball percentage was down 5%. So, I mean, I do see some bounce back potential here. I do buy the narrative that he was battling injuries. But, I mean, even if you look at what he did last year, he still went 2010 and produced 100 RBI. So, it's not like he did nothing. Um, some of that run production volume is going to go away uh, in the Washington lineup because I think he's probably going to hit fifth, as you mentioned, Jape, or he could hit sixth. Um, but you know, you never know with that sort of thing until you get a lot closer to the season. I mean, last year, everybody was convinced Trey Turner was going to hit leadoff. He started out the year hitting sixth. Um, so I mean, maybe they push Turner down the lineup again and let, you know, Eaton and Dozier hit near the top because they're very good OBP players. Um, another factor to consider if Dozier's healthy, the Nats like to let guys run. Um, they, I think they were fifth in the major, major league baseball on attempted steals as far as the team goes. And Dozier's usually been efficient at it and willing to run. So I'm definitely in at this price. I mean, I could, I could see a path back to like a, a 260, 30, 15 type season. Um, he won't be quite the runs asset that he was, at least in my opinion. I'll probably shift more towards RBIs. But, I mean, at whether it's 150 or 120, it's still a pretty nice package um, with – you know, a pretty, as you've mentioned a couple of times, Jay, he's only a couple of years removed from a 40 homer season. And the Washington, Washington, in terms of the park, is um, 
possibly a slight upgrade over where he was in Minnesota. So, you know, this is there's some there's some chance for some serious profit potential here. I mean, this guy's only a year removed from being a top fifty, um, being drafted as a top fifty player. So, I mean, you can you can definitely turn a nice nice profit drafting Brian Dozier. Okay, let's move to Yohan Moncada, 155.2314th overall second baseman. He's a premium prospect that hasn't put it all together yet. Do you see signs that point to a potential breakout, or are you still in wait-and-see mode? Uh, yeah, not to be boring. I'm definitely in a strict wait-and-see mode for him. I'm not out on him by any means, but I don't think I'm taking him at that spot. If he happens to slide to me a few picks later, I'd start to consider him. Uh, it's, I think it's a lot about the situation with him. I think once that team really improves, I think we'll finally see the breakout. Uh, you know, struck out 217 times last year. It's just something that really stuck out to me. 17 homers, 12 steals. You know, not terrible. Obviously, there's there's some signs and some uh, glimmers of talent and, and the potential breakout. But when you look at the projected lineup for the White Sox, it's another thing. It's just not pretty. That guy is easy. You know, they have a batting leadoff right now. Yomer Sanchez behind him. Uh, Jose Abreu, obviously, you like. Yonder Alonso. And a couple guys like Daniel Palco, Wellington Castillo, uh, Nicky Delmonico. It's just not the sexiest lineup. So uh, that worries me. And I think once the, the – you know, I know there's still rumors about them being in on Harper, I mean uh, on Machado. I was about to and, ask you if they add yeah, somebody like that. That definitely, you know, raises his value a bit. But uh, until then, I'm, I'm in the wait-and-see approach. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting profile uh, because, you, I mean, you can see the skills. He's got good patience. He hits the ball hard. He has a profile that projects for power and average in terms of batted balls. Um, he also has enough speed to swipe bags when he gets on. The issue is that he's still missing too much when he does swing, 12.2% swing strike rate, just a 70.3% contact rate, 79% in the zone. Um, you know, he's significantly below average in all those metrics. The growth needs to come there, I think. I think it's got to come in that sort of contact area. I do think the power is going to come. And I and the Babbitt was already plus. He's 343 for his career. So he just needs to get the K rate down to about 25%. And he can live as like a 25, 15, 270 type bat with good OBP. Um we just haven't seen any indication that the K rate's going to resolve itself. 32.6% in the second half, even against weak September pitching, 30.1%. Um, the contact issues were pretty flat in the second half. So whatever he's doing, he's not adjusting. He's not getting better, at least during the season last year. Um, you know, he, he – yeah, outside of prospects, he might be the last player – that we're going to talk about tonight with real significant sex appeal and pedigree that could pop. But I think I need to see it in a redraft setting as well, Jay. I think I'm with you. I think that this is a player that you sort of need to wait and see on. I don't mind taking the chance on him, but you know, if, if it comes down to it and him and Dozier are two picks apart right now, I'd much rather have Dozier. All right, let's move it to Cesar Hernandez, 15th second baseman, 182.5. Boring but productive. You know, I think if I waited to this point, if I'm looking at Cesar Hernandez and Yohan Moncada, 
you know, it might not even be a bad idea just to take them both. Um, because I really think that Cesar Hernandez is a pretty nice floor and Moncada's obviously got a pretty significant ceiling. Um, the average was down last year. He had a slight uptick in his K rate, but the walk rate also surged up 3%. The BAPIP was down about 30 points off his career average, which explains why the average was down. Um, so, I mean, there's some room for aggression there. The plate discipline is fantastic. I suspect that's part of the reason why he's been able to hit for surprising power. He's really only swinging at quality pitches. He's got a 37.6% swing percentage, 20.3% chase rate. That's gold. Um, he can run a bit. There's probably still a little upside in those legs. Could see like a 15 homer, 20 steal type season. That's probably top line for what you can expect. So I would take him down a couple across the board, you know, maybe like a 12-17 or 12-18 type projection. Uh, with some positive batting average aggression around 275. I feel pretty good about that. Um, plus, he's a run scorer. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how the Phillies lineup shakes out. But, you know, if he's hitting near the top, and I suspect he will be, given the fact that he's got such a good OBP with the additions of Segura and McCutcheon already, uh, that lineup is already significantly improved. If they add a big bat, say you add Harper to that lineup, and he's hitting – Cesar Hernandez is hitting first with Segura – and then Harper, and then Hoskins behind him. Uh, it's going to be a nice year for Hernandez. <laughs> you could score 100-plus runs. But there is also the risk that, you know, they decide they want to score at the top of the lineup and Hernandez is hitting eighth. So there is some downside when it comes to that. But in terms of what Hernandez can control, I think he's pretty sound. Uh, Jape, are you okay with him as your starter, or do you think he's more of a bench piece? I, I definitely think he's more of a bench piece. Uh, he's okay as a starter in a pinch. You know, somebody gets hurt, you got to roll with him for a few weeks. So I don't think that's a problem. Uh, I, calling him a bench piece might sound like a bad thing, but I think he's like the upper echelon of the bench pieces. You know, he's like one of the best bench guys out there. You, you'd like to have him on your bench. It's not a bad thing to have him ready to roll if you ever need to throw him out there. Uh, like the, the 15 home runs kind of came out of nowhere last year. I, I wish he did run more for the player that he profiles as. You know, I, I wish he would give you like a D Gordon 40 steal season because then if you couple that with the 15 home runs, suddenly he's a really exciting player. But I, I do think he's super boring. Uh, like you said, good lineup, good team, possibly the addition of Harper could, you know, make his ceiling a lot higher. But I think he's more of a bench piece right now. All right. The moment I've been dreading, let's move to your boy, Jonathan Scope. <laughs> 200.45 ADP, 16th overall second baseman. <clears throat> He's added shortstop in 10-game started formats. This is a player me and you have gone to war over several times, over the course of several years. So tell us about Scope in Minnesota. Do you like him or the guy he's replacing, Brian Dozier, better? Okay. Uh, I think this is the first year where I'm pretty much – down on scoop, scope, whatever. You oh want to call my it. god, the turn! That's not a turn, but <laughs> it's you know totally what? a heel turn. It was always the situation that I loved him. I love that he was in Camden. Jake, you when... just snuck up behind the guy and hit him with the steel chair, <laughs> tore off your shirt. You totally couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, when Chris Davis and Adam Jones were still, you know, decent players, I liked him in that situation. I liked him in the ballpark. Uh, so let me get let me get back to last year. Uh, after a really nice 2017, he had a horrendous start to last year. 
But he started to turn around just before they traded him. And I, I, I remember talking to you guys about this. And I was like, this is, I had him on my team. I was like, this is a horrible thing. He was finally coming around. He was ending that early season slump. He batted 360 with nine home runs in the month of July. Uh, and he was absolutely horrible. Isn't that the month where he didn't walk either? <laughs> right. Well, so I know you're going to say, and that's the player he is. He has, he, he, would you say at one point he had a ridiculous stat where his like on base percentage and his average were basically identical? No, no, just, his average was his average was somehow higher than his on base percentage. Right, just he, he did something that was like <laughs> literally impossible. So uh, I do worry about him obviously this year. I think there's a chance where you know if he's relaxed back in the AL, you know maybe I, I, the power's still there. There's a chance he can hit 25, 30 home runs. I really think he can, but uh, I. I I do like Dozier over him now that we see he's found a home. Uh, I don't know. I think it, it's, it's finally the year where I'm down on, on scope. Well, all right. So Dozier might be a bad comparison. What about Moncada? <sighs> That's really tough. Um, all right. Let's just rank, just rank the three <laughs> of them. Rank, rank Moncada. Her- Go. Oof. I probably. I, I think Scope is more of a more of a starter than Hernandez is, so I probably go Moncada, Scope, Hernandez. Because I, I listen, the guy still got power. I know he's a free swinger. I know he, he drives you crazy, but the guy did hit 32 home runs in 2017. He hit 21 last year, and I'm telling you, he was on pace to get close to 30 again before that trade. He did nothing in Milwaukee, so I, you know, as, as crazy as he drives you sometimes. 2017, he batted 293 with 32 home runs, 105 RBIs. I mean, that can't be ignored. The guy can hit. He's just way too much of a free swinger for your liking. I know that. And uh, he's extremely streaky, but he, he has a ton of power. And I like that about him. I think uh, he's going to be sneaky, sneaky guy. That you can, I'm definitely, you know, I'm keeping an eye on him on draft day, and I'm probably going to take him. But uh, it's hard to see what he's going to do in, in Minnesota. It's really, really hard to predict. Yeah, I'm obviously much higher on Dozier. I mean, Dozier provides speed, better OBP, um, comparable power, and he's got a better run production track record. But Scope is like another variance type, free swinger. Um, you know, as we can tell from tonight's show, he's normally the type of player that I usually write off. I'm starting to understand how players like Scope and Baez can live swinging at everything um their aggressive does, aggressiveness doesn't let them get deep into counts where the strikeouts could swell so um and and that correlates obviously with the lack of walks so put aside the contact and swinging strike issues which is a 15.1 percent swing strike rate um if healthy he's probably going to hit around 25 homers in minnesota give or take a few in either direction. What will dictate his value is whether the balls in play fall his way. If he can manage a plus Babbitt, the average will be livable and the run production should follow in the middle of a talented lineup. If the Babbitt is hovering right around 300 or lower, he's like a 260 hitter at best with no speed and he's not getting on base. And, you know, I've never really been a believer in Scopes plus Babbitt seasons. Because the profile is really not good in terms of the quality of contact he makes. He hits a ton of infield fly balls. He's not fast. He's not a strong line drive 
uh, line drive hitter. The contact authority mix is uninspiring, 23.1% soft contact, 27.8% hard contact in 2018. And his career rates aren't much better, 23.2% soft contact, 30.4% hard contact. Steamer has him at 24 homers, 266 in terms of batting average. Yeah, if you're aching for power in a middle infield spot, you could definitely do worse. Uh, I just struggle to think of a situation where that's the reality at this point in the draft. I think that's the first time you actually gave a somewhat, not a compliment, but it wasn't like you said you could do worse. So we're making an improvement. Well, the price isn't that bad. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not, it's not fantastic, but he's got, especially in 10 game formats, he's going to have shortstop. So, you know, if you need the pop and you, you've got a guy that's swiping bags, if you've got D Gordon, um, and you've already got steals wrapped up, you know, you can do worse than plugging in Jonathan Scope and hoping you hoping he hits you a home run over a couple of days. And other than Cleveland, the pitching is not phenomenal in that division. No, and that park is pretty good for right-handed power. I mean, Brian Dozier hit 42 home runs in the season in Minnesota. Yep. And the lineup's not bad. Again, Eddie Rosario, Nelson Cruz. I think Jorge Polanco is a pretty good player. Also think Max Kepler is a pretty good player. Miguel Sano has unlimited power. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a world where scope does that high twenties, low thirties Homer season that you're talking about. Absolutely. Okay. 17th at second base. We've got Joey Wendell, 203.68 also has third base and outfield in 10 games started and shortstop in 10 games started formats. Do you like him or Jeff McNeil, 221.86 with third base eligibility? Which high average utility type do you prefer among these two? I'm definitely taking McNeil. I don't want to bring the the Met bias into it, but I really just love what I saw from the guy last year. He looks like a guy that's just, uh, you know, like a little bit in the vein of Murphy where he kind of just developed late, but he's just a really smart hitter. He's got a great eye, makes good contact. Uh, he had a, about 60-point higher OPS than Wendell did, did last year. So uh, that's like a no-brainer for me. I think he's uh, going to be a very valuable fantasy second baseman if he plays all year. I'm pretty much out on Wendell. I'm not buying it. Don't obviously love the team. And I'm definitely taking a wait-and-see approach on him. I'm not going to be taking him. Yeah, uh, give me Wendell. Uh, you know, he's got more positions, and I think the playing time is more secure than McNeil's, especially now that they've added Lowry. Um, you know, I really like what I saw from Wendell in the second half. 8% walk rate, just 11% K rate, 321, 381, 486 slash. Uh, minuscule 6.6% swing strike rate during that run. X stats thinks there's some Babbitt coming back. And I could see that based on the profile, but I still foresee Wendell as like a 285 hitter. Um, he was able to run at a pretty good clip. He was 16 of 20 on the bases. That's 80%. That's very efficient. Um, so it's not like they're going to staple him to first base. Um, you know, in terms of the the big five categories, I think Wendell could return something similar to Cesar Hernandez. M- maybe a little bit of that run total shifted towards RBIs because I think Wendell will hit second. Um, I know he hit third for a lot of last year, um, but I think he'll have some RBI opportunities. Uh, McNeil's a nice player as well, but 
I, I suspect that Wendell's going to find his way into the lineup most days. I think McNeil's playing time will be a little more sporadic to start the year, especially now that they've added Lowry. Um, Neil never ran like he did at the major league level last year. So I'm not sure how steady that is. He's got a decent profile for Babbitt, but the 3% home to fly ball rate is concerning, albeit across a small sample. He's going to need a hit for more power than that. And, you know, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head when you taught them to pre breakout Daniel Murphy. I think that's exactly uh, the type of hitter he is. 9.7% K rate. He doesn't strike out at all. High average. He lacks a true position. Not really enough power or speed to be um, super interesting in standard mixed leagues. But these guys always find their way onto your roster at some point um, because they provide, uh, you know, a lot of eligibility and batting average, which is always in short supply. So do you think he's going to continue to run? Oh, Wendell? No, McNeil. Uh I mean, I'd like to see that. He's obviously got enough talent. He's, you know, a pretty nice all-around player. It's hard. The Mets are weird. I you know, it's, I really don't know what to expect from them. And like you said, I, I, didn't, I wrote my notes, obviously, a few nights ago before the Lowry deal went down. So that does kind of throw, uh, you know, a monkey wrench into things. You, you don't know if he's going to lose a little playing time. But I, I can see him running. And I think he's got a little more power than he showed last year, too. Once he learns, you know, lift the ball, I think, I think he's got a little more power. Well, I mean, they're also talking about him playing the outfield, too. So, I mean, that's another path for him to get into the lineup. Um, but, yeah, I think Wendell's got a pretty decent shot to play every day. I think McNeil's going to be like a, you know, four to five games out of every seven type. All right. Okay, let's move to Lourdes Goriel, 19th at second base, 222.59 ADP. Also has shortstop eligibility. He's expected to serve as the Jays' everyday shortstop. Do you think he can build on the flashes he showed in his rookie year? I do. I think uh, he's definitely a player worth keeping an eye on on draft day. He looked like he had an idea at the plate last year. Uh, I liked what I saw from him. And just what? Shock, like... he's really aggressive. <laughs> well, yeah. But, uh, hey. Hey. I like the guy. He had 65 games. He had 11 home runs. I mean, you prorate that. It's not looking too terrible. He bet a 281. It wasn't like, you know, he wasn't terrible. It wasn't what, what scoped it last year. I think he's got some potential. Like you said, he's probably got a shot to play every day there. And uh, I think he could be a sneaky, good second baseman late in the draft. You know, this is the spot in the draft where you start taking your shots, and I think he might be worth a shot. Yeah, I mean, aggressive at the dish is, is certainly what Goriel is. A 3.4% walk rate. So he's going to need a plus Babbitt to survive. The skills do indicate that he's got that skill. Um, interesting, he's got he, – he had a pop-up problem in the minors that's really dissolved at the major league level, just 3% infield fly ball rate. So, I mean, I know the minor league data is a little screwy on that particular issue in terms of infield fly ball rate. But nonetheless, it's a substantial change. I'm wondering if it's going to stick. Um, there was no history of him hitting for power. But at 25, he might tapping, be tapping into it. Steamer's buying it, 21 home run projection. They also give him seven steals, which I don't know if I buy because he's never really run before, and the speed is so-so. But, I mean, it's possible because running is a matter of will, and Toronto isn't projected to be any kind of 
contender this year, so they might let him run if he wants to run. Um, you know, all in all, I think he's worth a shot. I, I, I think the steamer projection is a little aggressive. Um, you know, when I looked at it and it's 21 homers, seven steals, 266, I would say that's closer to the higher end of what you would expect from him, whereas steamer usually tends to be a little more conservative. I mean, Jake, do you agree? I mean, isn't that like a little high end for what you're expecting out of him, or do you think there's more upside than that? I think there's more upside. I mean, it's, it's a bit high, but I think, you know, he's got potential. I, I like the pop I saw last year. I think he can hit 25 home runs if he plays, you know, if he plays every day. I don't think it's outrageous. It's a bit high, but I'm telling you, I like this guy. Sneaky. All right, 20th overall, second baseman, Nick Senzel, 224.7. Top prospect. There's some some talks that the Reds may try him in the outfield. Are you viewing him as a potential stash candidate, or do you expect him to be up in the lineup very early in the year? Well, I'm pretty much viewing him as a stash candidate uh, based on some of the stuff I've read. Unless you see something different, they don't, you know, expect him to be a huge contributor early on in the season. If he is, and I miss on him, and someone else takes him, so be it. But I. Probably go for some depth at this point in the draft over a player like him. If you like him, you can stash him, and you got you're, you're in a keeper league. That's one thing. But I, I, you know, I don't expect him to make an early season impact. He had the finger injury last year, which you know derailed him. You know, hope you know it sounds like he's you know all healed up from that. But you know that can take a little getting used to. Maybe you know take some time for him to get comfortable back at the plate. So I, I'm definitely gonna wait and see stash him if I could. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like him as a stash, but it's just there's just not really a clear path here. Um, you know, two of the Reds' best bats are at second and third. Those are, you know, his first two positions that he would normally play. And they've got Scooter Jeanette and Suarez there. They're not now, going anywhere. Well, Jeanette's on a one-year deal, so, I mean, there is a there is a world where the Reds fall out of it and trade him at the deadline. Right. But, you know, then you're halfway through the year. Right. Um. And then, you know, they traded for Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp. And they've already got Scott Shebler and Jesse Winker in the outfield. So that's a crowded situation as well. Um, there's been some speculation that they'll give Senzel a look in center. But I think Shebler is going to be the guy to man that spot most days. Um, and that's really the only area where I think Senzel could go pre-trade deadline. Uh, and we don't even know if he can play the position. And, you know, Shebler's not a slouch. He's just a year removed from a 30-homer season. Um, you know, but if you get to the trade deadline and like I said, the Reds have decided to call it a year. Puig's on this last year of his deal. Jeanette's on the last year of his. So, I mean, if one of those two gets moved or both get moved, it opens up quite a bit, which is why I think he's more of a stash than a guy to, um, you know, expect production from early in the year. And as a prospect, I like him a lot. He's got a premium hit tool. He's got good pop which will play up in Cincinnati. He can run a little bit. I, I think sort of a right-handed Andrew Benintendi with a little more power upside is, is what I'm thinking long-term. Um, but you need to be wary. He's, got, he's had vertigo issues too, uh, in addition to the, the finger issue that you mentioned. And that's the sort of thing that if it recurs, it could set him back big time, and he may not see the bigs this year. Um, you know, that can be – He's, I think he's had a couple of bouts of it. So it's something to be very, very wary of, especially if you're in a dynasty league. Okay, 21st, we got Marwin Gonzalez, 228.98. Eligibility, a lot of different places. First base, second base, shortstop, outfield. 
despite a robust free agent market, he hasn't signed yet. Do you think that Marwin can get back to 2017 heights or is 2018 more likely his baseline? So I think uh, somewhere in between his 2017, 2018 seasons, where his baseline is. I don't think we see a return to form of that season that just came out of nowhere in 2017, where he batted 303 and it's nothing close to that career. But I kind of think this is like, uh, even though he's been around for a few more years, 2017 was the first year where he really mattered. So I feel like last year was kind of his sophomore year where he had that sophomore slump and people adjusted to him. So I can see a, definitely see a higher upside this year. And I'm definitely interested to see where he lands. I, you know, the, his versatility makes him very intriguing. If he lands on a good offense and he finds some playing time, I think he's definitely going to be a valuable fantasy contributor. And I see somewhere, like I said, in between the two years, he's not going to probably hit 23 home runs and bat 300 again, but I can see a maybe 20 home run, 270 season. If he's on a decent team, he can contribute in other ways. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. That's sort of where I think he is. I think he's like in that 18 to 20 home run range, sort of a 275 average, lots of eligibility. Um, you know, I, I sort of comped him to as Drupal Cabrera from last year. That's the kind of player I think he is, um, except that he can play a lot of places defensively and play them pretty well. Um, so, I mean, the primary difference between the two years was the difference in power, which got cut by about a third. Otherwise, it's bad at ball luck. Um, on the power side, the hard contact rate actually rose. The ball in the air was about the same. And I should also point out that Marwin's homer to fly ball rate went down, but it went down to his career average. And there's, all, there's also sort of an a, uh, interesting split issue. Um, Marlon was really bad in the first half, really found it in the second half. Uh, the home to fly ball rate came up in the second half to last year's level. Hard contact was over 40%. And he, he hit 275 with an 844 OPS. So, I mean, that's really what you want to see. That's what we saw from him in 2017. So maybe he was bad on an injury or um, was feeling pressure to perform because of his contract situation, or maybe there was some sort of mechanical thing, and then he was able to iron it out in the second half and then excel. Um, it's all going to come down to where he ends up. I mean, there's always utility for a guy that's got that many positions that's going to play almost every day. Uh, but if he's if he's the guy that Milwaukee ends up with and he's playing almost every day at second base in that ballpark, he's uh, he really ticks up for me. If he's playing, you know, if the Dodgers sign him and he's playing four out of every seven days at six different places on the, on the diamond, uh, you know, he, he might be worth a spot in a deeper league because of the eligibility, but he's just not as attractive. So I think a lot of this comes down to what his role is with where he signs. Okay, Ketel Marte, 22nd overall second baseman, 234.05. He has shortstop eligibility. Marte has shown flashes, but has yet to put together a truly exciting season. Do you think he could put it all together, or is it just hype, no substance when it comes to Marte? Okay, so Marte is a player that uh, drives me nuts. He, uh, I've owned him twice, maybe three times over the last couple of years. Uh, I still think the big breakout is possible. I can't tell you. I agree. I, I can't tell you that it's definitely coming this year or if it's ever coming. I don't know when it's coming, but I still think it's possible. Um, 
the you know the lineup loses Goldschmidt, which doesn't help. I I'm down on him this year for sure. I always thought we'd see some higher speed numbers from him, and we just haven't at all. I thought he was going to steal more bases. Uh, I think I'm totally out on him this year. I'm just I, I I've had him too many times. He's let me down enough. I'll I'll let someone else prosper if he has that breakout year, and then I'll try to get him next year. But I, I think I'm looking elsewhere at this part of the draft. Yeah, Marte's got some interesting skills. Um, he's pretty fast. He beats Starling Marte on sprint speed score. Uh, Tommy Pham, Lorenzo Kane, or other examples of stolen base threats that he's above. But he only swiped six bags on seven attempts despite being a full-time player last year. He's got some sneaky pop, 10% home and a fly ball rate, 14 homers last year. But he only hit 29% fly balls. If he can eat that back up to 2017's level of 34%, uh, there's some useful pop here. Um, but his best skill is the ability to take a walk and avoid strikeouts. The batting average was a little low last year, but XStats says that's bad luck and should have been near 280. Um, I agree, based on the speed and the batted ball profile, that you know he's a better hitter than what he showed last year in terms of batting average. He's been around for a while, but he's still only 25. Um, the big question on his value, I think, is, you know, I think the homers max out around 15 to 18. That's sort of the upside there. I don't think there's much room for growth there. It's going to be whether he runs enough to have value since the average two towns probably like 275. So if he's 275, 15, 18 homers, six steals, he's not worth much. No. But if he's 275, 15, 18 homers and 15 to 18 steals, that's a different story. So, with Goldie and AJ Pollock now out of town, maybe Arizona encourages them to run, encourages them to run a little bit more. Um, with them on the team last year and Marte batting first or second, he had 120 plate appearances in that role. He didn't run at all when he was hitting first or second, but when he was hitting sixth, seventh, and ninth, he had 350 plate appearances in those roles. He ran seven times. So if he's hitting leadoff, he may double those plate appearances, get up around 700 if he plays the full season. And without those big bats behind him, maybe they take the leash off. Now that would still only get him up to 14 steal attempts. He'd have to run a little bit more often. But I'm willing to take the shot here because I, I think that that might have been what happened here is, is that they sort of stapled him to first base when Pollock and Goldschmidt were on the team. Those guys are gone now. Um, you know, they didn't want him running into outs with those big bats up because the lineup was sort of lackluster towards the back end. When he was hitting towards the back end, they knew the lineup was lackluster, so they let him run. I'm wondering if the reverse is possible this year. The lineup isn't uh, nearly as good at the top. So they take the wheels, they take the training wheels off and they let this guy go. And if he can get to, you know, 18 homers, 16 steals, 275, hitting at the top of a lineup, scoring some runs. He could be a very interesting piece. He's a super frustrating player. I just want to add that one more time. He's got 28 steals in his career, and we both you know, noted how fast he is, and he has the potential to do so much more, but he's super frustrating. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not, it doesn't cost you much. I mean, he's, yeah. he's – we're talking like 220-some-odd. Let me, let me see what the exact ADP is. 234. So, I mean, you're coming up on some of your final picks in most, most standard mixed leagues. So, I mean, you could do worse to take a shot on, on Marte, I think. 
I mean, you could take Jonathan Scope. Yeah, and you know I will. <laughs> All right, DJ LeMayu, 23rd second baseman, 234.25. Um, he's an unsigned second base option moving out of course. Do you think that DJ suffers a tumble given the fact that he's leaving Colorado? Yeah, I think anyone who leaves Colorado suffers some sort of tumble. How big it will be, we'll see. Um, certainly not in love with, you know, with. DJ right now because he doesn't have a home. There's not a ton of buzz. I don't know how many more places he can go where you know he's really going to fill it and play every day and be a solid contributor. Uh, probably out on him. I mean, I like the player, but unless he lands in the most ideal situation, I don't see him being a huge fantasy contributor. I can see some point later in the season whether he gets traded or you know surprises us, lands on a good team. I can see him contributing some point later in the season. But uh, as we know, as we head towards spring training right now, he's totally on the back end of my list, and I'm not really thinking about him. Yeah, I think the batting average suffers. But, you know, LeMayu is sort of interesting because there's pop in his bat that I think is yet to be uncorked. Uh, last year he hit a career high in home runs, and that came on a career high 29.5% fly ball rate. And, you know, 29.5% is not – in any way huge. Um, if he can eat that closer to 35% without losing too much contact, he could go from like a 300 hitter to like a 280 hitter, but with a lot more power upside. Um, I don't know that he's going to continue to run. He's just 12 of 22 the last two years. That's not efficient at all, but we're going to have to see on that front. A lot of that depends on where he lands. Um, you know, he's, He's not sexy, but it's going to put up a plus batting average. And he's got enough power upside to be interesting at this point in the draft. He's a 15 homer guy with a, you know, full positive plus batting average. Uh, But there is a little bit of hope in there that maybe he can hit a few more fly balls and then the – then he becomes really interesting if he gets up around 20 homer level because I think the batting average will still carry him. Okay, Isaiah Kiner Falefa. Yeah. I hope I said that correct. 272.84, eligible also at catcher and third base. You know, this has got to be the fact that he's a catcher. He's got catcher eligibility, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, other than he's the best name to come out of 2018. Uh, he doesn't really offer much else. I mean, you look at the numbers. Oh, cool. He stole seven bases, but he was caught five times. He's obviously got a little talent and, you know, maybe deep blossoms into something, but I, yeah, the only reason he's at this price or even on this list is because he has that catcher eligibility, but I mean, that doesn't even make him that interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's I think it's the catcher eligibility. I mean, he showed a willingness to run 12 attempts over 356 plate appearances. He was only successful seven times. But Texas is going to be bad. Maybe they let him run again. If he can work it his way into the lineup as a regular utility type, mixing in catcher appearances, uh, he could be like a 10-homer, 12-steal type with 260 average. He might even deserve a little better on the average front, given the bad ball profile and the strikeout rate of 15%. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is jumping off a bridge to try and chase cheap speed um, from a player that might only see 300 plate appearances. 
I mean, he's never been thought of as an actual prospect. Um, so, I mean, I, I think this is just trying to chase 10 to 12 steals. And, and I think that's kind of silly at this point. Um, the, and, you know, I know catcher's a wasteland, but I don't know. It, it just it, – it seems like a very desperation pick to me. Um, and, you know, even in deeper leagues, 272 can, can be expensive. There are still good players on the board, um, one of which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Uh, Jed Lowry, 25th, 279.59. So Lowry was signed tonight with the Mets, two years, uh, 20 mil, or was it 21, Jit? I think it was 20. 20? So do you think Lowry can take the changes he made to the Mets and replicate his 2018 success in what will be his age 34, 35 season? Well, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting fit, and it brings back the conversation we had before with McNeil, because now, you know, both of them might suffer fantasy-wise. I really don't know what the Mets are planning on doing. I, I can definitely see them sharing time, so it's going to be tricky. But, I mean, I think if he gets enough plate appearances and uh, he's playing enough, I think he's going to be a solid fantasy contributor. I think you can't ignore what he did last year. 23 home runs and 99 RBIs. Obviously, it was his career year. But he was really solid, and, you know, he had an 800 OPS. I think if the Mets are a decent team and he's playing, you know, most of the season, I can see him being a solid contributor. I think he'll be owned and he'll be, you know, on someone's team and maybe you don't play him every day. But uh, he's, he's definitely worth noting. You can't, you can't overlook what he did last year. Yeah, I think he can replicate it. He's always been pretty good play discipline-wise, which maintained – he took some of his all-fields approach and shifted more towards pull in an effort to hit for more power, and it worked. He also hit the ball harder, um, 40% hard contact rate. You know, Saurus of The Athletic made an excellent point on Twitter about Larry's improved production since having surgery for a deviated uh, septum, uh, which was two off-seasons ago. He's been, I believe, an eight-win player over the last two years since he had that procedure done. Um, you know, I think given health, Lowry can be similar to what, you know, I described as sort of DJ LeMayu's theoretical upside, which is 275 hitter, low 20s bombs. I think he's going to slot into either a top or a middle lineup role, um, which will be less appealing on the Mets than it is in Oakland, but not that much, given the fact that the lineup has become pretty deep. Um, and, I, and I'm expecting him to be pretty much an everyday player. I mean, I think he's going to – I think he's going to be their primary third baseman. Uh, but I think they've deliberately designed the team in a way that they can sort of shift their pieces around to account for various injuries. Um, you know, he'll see some time at second base. I wouldn't be shocked to see him play first base on occasion. And, you know, if you've got a league where you only need five appearances, I also think there's a shot he gets those at short, given Rosario breather every once in a while. I mean, it's not preferred. I don't think he can handle the position defensively, but for a handful of games, I could see it. Yeah, I could see it. So um, are there any other names, Jay, beyond Laurie that you sort of think are interesting or worth bringing up at the position? Uh, not really, honestly. I think we pretty much, you know, covered them all. All right, well, I got one that I thought was worth bringing up. Um, Adam Frazier uh, of the Pirates. I think he's interesting in that sort of Jed Lowry kind of class. Um, he's probably more likely – than Lowry to add some swipes, but he's been a poor base runner overall at the major league level. 
he's a potential candidate to hit leadoff for the Pirates. And really, I mean, the big reason why he's so interesting is the second half. He hit 306, 357, 533, and has shown the ability to limit Ks and to take a walk. Uh, but what really happened in the second half was a change in approach. Frazier cut the grounders and started to elevate the ball. In the first half, he was a 2.06 ground ball to fly ball guy, a 1.2, a 1.2 ground ball to fly ball guy in the second half. He tapped into some hard contact, 21.3% versus 45%. The results were a low to mid-20s homer pace, plus average. And the Pirates are usually willing to let their guys run. I mean, that's been their history. So um, if Frazier's got some wheels, I mean, there's the ability for him to add, you know, seven to ten steals here uh, with 20 homers, good batting average, and good runs being that he's going to hit at the top of the lineup. So – He's uh he's an interesting sleeper that's going outside the top three hundred. Yeah, he's he's a player that's you know always kind of on the waiver wire. And you look at him and you go, like, oh, you know, he's he's having some nice weeks, having some good games. But then, you know, if you look at his total year line, it's not very impressive. Uh, and I'll take your word for it. Maybe take an eye, keep an eye on him at the dress, but he's definitely way at the end of uh, my list. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, again, he's going after pick 300. So, yeah. I mean, he's a guy that you're taking at the very, very end to maybe take a flyer on to see if his second half sustains itself. And if it does, you know, there's – you can always use a guy that's going to hit 320 bombs. Um, yeah. You know, you can always use that type of profile. So, I, I think that there's, there's enough intrigue there that he might be worth taking a flyer on. Okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for us tonight. Jape, thanks so much for hopping on. Uh, you haven't gotten your Twitter straightened out yet, right? No, sorry. just stuff. I'm busy watching uh, Mark Few and the Gonzaga Bulldogs beat up on poor Pacific right now. But that means <laughs> conference play has started, which means the tournament's around the corner, which means spring training's around the corner. So that's how I look at it. Yes, that's all accurate. Yes. Okay, well, you can find me, as always, at PatrickFWO. Uh, I will be back next week with Bubba Dentrick from Bench with Bubba. And we are going to be doing our third base preview. Thanks so much for joining us. And we will be back next week. Have a good night, everyone.